try to get this message so it could just be a one-hit wonder. But that required me to start preaching at about 11 o'clock. So we're 20 minutes from 12. I don't even know if I should start it. Uh, yeah. A few weeks ago, I sent out an email about some things I felt like the Lord was speaking to me, and specifically to our church. And um, what I had shared was it, it, it feels like it, the Lord is coming to us and he's, he's wanting to find out what we're made of. He's, he's looking deep into our hearts and he's, he's allowing situations and circumstances to touch our lives. It will help reveal, um, really to us, what the Father already sees inside of us. You know, the reality is that God knows us better than we know ourselves. There's nothing hidden from Him. You know, I'm constantly amazed at how... My son makes so much noise. <laughs> Ma'am, we have a nursery. <laughs> if you would, please take your crying child. There's plenty of toys and other babies he will have fun with. He's not having it. Ma'am, we can talk about it after service. Right now, I'm trying to preach the Word of God. <laughs> but I'm constantly amazed at how I deceive myself into thinking or believing something about myself when the opposite's probably truer. I mean, deception is, is sometimes it's a real problem in my life, and it probably is for you too. You know, Paul, he even warns us about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 18, he says, Don't deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. And then he says in, in, in chapter 15 and Verse 33 says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now there are a lot more scriptures about deception that we could look at. But my point is how we see ourselves is not always the truth. And you know what? That works both good and bad. Sometimes we, we, we see ourselves so poorly that it's really just a big lie from hell. 
And so God comes to us and he, he allows circumstances to touch our lives so, so that, that we can help kind of find that gold that God sees that's buried deep inside of us. I love what God says in Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 7. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And I love how Peter even, he takes it a step further in chapter 2, verse five, 4. He has this to say, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There are so many things that go into building the house of the Lord. And the timber that we go up to the mountain and get to, to build the house of God, it, it comes to us in the form of revelation about how to live with one another in a way that brings heaven to the earth. And ultimately how it gives God glory through our obedience. And you know, the way that God tests the timber the stones, the living stones, which are us, his people, is through pressure. 90% of which I believe comes through relationships. When disagreements and offense come, it's a test. When misunderstanding comes, it's a test. You see, it's when our relationships are strained that we get to find out what we're made of. Do we let heaven invade the earth in our situation, or do we give in to fear and hide? Who are you avoiding right now who are you having arguments with in your head right now that's how I know when I have not forgiven someone I have arguments with that person and they're not in the room I make my point and I make it over again and I re-pontificate it and I will support it with facts and truths and scriptures and internet research. And <laughs> I know when I'm not in a good place with somebody. That's one of the ways. And how we respond to pressure in life is an indicator of what we're made of 
Or, or better yet, what we need formed in us. You know, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, says, We rejoice in our what? Oh, come on, let's say that together with sufferings. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given Now, that word suffering is interesting. It's a Greek word that actually means to be pressed down. Pressure. We rejoice in our pressure. When's the last time you rejoiced when pressure came down on you? That's what I thought. But you know, he says there's hope. We have hope. Why? Because of that word that's there. It says his love. Man, that word, it just keeps showing up everywhere, doesn't it? I mean, it's the fuel for everything we do. You know, I shared several months ago that love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. And I'm reminding that of us today because I want to share some truth about pressure, about suffering, and how we are to respond. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to categorize pressure in Two very broad types of pressure. The first and probably most common is the everyday pressure we experience as we go through normal life. You know, it's the kind of pressure that comes from marriage, raising kids, you know. It's the pressure I, I feel at work or at home, you know, House needs fixed, laundry needs done, dinner needs made, grass needs cut, all that stuff. All those things amount to common, everyday pressure. And, and additionally uh, to that, we, all, we also get to throw in all of our regular, uh, ongoing relationships into that everyday kind of pressure. I mean, you got to deal with your boss all the time. You got to deal with your best friend, good or bad. Now, the other type of pressure, which is a, a broader, again, I'm, these are really broad terms, and I realize there's, we could slice them down, but the other kind of pressure that I think we experience that's very easy to identify and significant is, is something I call Intensely uncommon pressure. This is the kind of pressure that actually interrupts normal life. 
It's, it's something that can, it can be bad or it can be good. You know, the bad would be something like losing your job. That's an intensely uncommon pressure. Maybe someone dies that you love. Someone gets very ill. You, you go through a divorce. Those are the, the, the negative kinds of interruptions into normal life. Now, some good things that are interruptions of normal life would be something like having to plan a wedding or planning a graduation party or having a new baby. That's an intensely uncommon new pressure. <laughs> Those are the things that interrupt normal life, good or bad. It doesn't matter. They're still creating pressure. And we tend to call the normal or good stuff just pressure, and we tend to call the bad suffering. I'm suffering. So how does pressure or suffering show up a lot of times? I think it's important that we identify the source of, of pressure so that we know how to deal with it in an appropriate way. You know, when testing comes, we, we have to know what's being tested. Wouldn't that help? I mean, when you love to get through the test quicker so you know what exactly are we talking about here, Jesus? What exactly are we dealing with here in this test? When we go through the furnace, I would like to know what's being burned out of my heart so I can get on with it. I don't want to fail the test. So one person I like to read about is a guy in the Bible. His name's Joseph. He was the son of Jacob. If you want to look into the life of a person who has experienced pressure and suffering, then Joseph is a really good guy to look at. In fact, if we looked at his life, we can see that there's some ways that pressure and suffering come into our lives. Now, just in case you didn't know, some quick background about Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's 11th son but was the first son to Jacob's wife, Rachel. And Jacob treated Joseph as his favorite. I'm sure no one's ever had a mom or dad who treated your brother or sister like they're the favorite, right? I'm sure, is there any favorites in the house? Yes, there she is. Princess Jenny. <laughs> Connie was a favorite. And then count if you're an only child. Well, Joseph, or Jacob treated Joseph as a favorite, and it was, it was obvious. In fact, Jacob uh, had such favoritism that he bought Joseph this really expensive cloak, which, by the way, did not earn Joseph any favor with his older brothers, who disliked him a whole bunch. And as time went on, Joseph had two prophetic dreams from God. And basically, 
the gist of both dreams was basically that his mom and his dad and all of his older brothers would one day bow down to him. That's the gist of it. Well, he went and took those dreams and he went and told all of his family, guess what? You're going to bow down to me one day. Well, that didn't sit well with his brothers. And so they took him and they tossed him into a pit. They shredded his fancy jacket. And then ultimately they sold him as a slave. Now, does that sound like pressure and suffering? Just a little. I think so. So when I look at that little stage of Joseph's life, I ask myself, what can I learn from how suffering came to him at that stage of his journey? And I believe that one of the primary ways that pressure and suffering came to his life, and many times it comes to our lives, is because of pride and or Ignorance. Those are two things you want to write down. Pride and ignorance. Two ways that suffering shows up in our lives. Pressure starts to happen. See, here's the thing. Joseph was 17 years old when God gave him those prophetic dreams. Now, has there ever been a 17-year-old in all of the history of the world who wouldn't go tell everybody they knew? You're all going to bow down to me. Right? Brag about how he's going to rule over the whole family. Well, you know, from the story, we, we, we know that Joseph was spoiled by his dad. And one thing I know about entitled children is they tend to be full of pride. And pride, many times, can be fueled by ignorance. It's, it's like they have no idea how what they say affects others. I mean, it's like they're clueless when it comes to connecting the dots between um, their actions and attitudes and how others respond to them. It's just ignorance. Now, if you, just so we're clear on ignorance, ignorance is, is not necessarily the derogatory term that we say, you know, you're ignorant, meaning you're stupid. I think is how we interpret it. But really, the, the true definition of ignorance is just the state of not knowing something. I just don't know. Therefore, I'm ignorant of it. Well, Joseph had a problem. He was both prideful and ignorant. Now, pride brings pressure and suffering into our lives when we don't humble ourselves. When we don't forgive quickly when we don't admit our wrongs when we don't mend our broken relationships then we have pressure 
Sometimes it's when we don't even ask for help. That creates pressure. When we don't accept good godly counsel from people who love us, we suffer. You know, God himself, he even tells us, he says, I'm opposed to the proud. When pride's working in our life, the help that we can get from heaven is so small. It's limited. And when we got no help, that creates pressure. That brings suffering. As I said, ignorance is also a way in which we, pressure shows up in our life or suffering, you know? So many people, they have no idea how to manage money or how to raise responsible, respectable children. So many people don't, they don't even know what a good work ethic is. So many people are, are clueless of how to make a marriage work. And it's not that they don't want to prosper in life. I mean, come on, we all want a good life. It's that they don't know how. No one's ever taught them how to succeed. They have no idea what the consequences are to certain actions in life. You mean if I don't balance my checkbook, I might run out of money? Yes. And as unfair as that may seem, that, that ignorance creates pressure and suffering in my life. And sometimes incredible amounts of suffering. It's a reality. And Joseph had both pride and ignorance working in his life, and it got him sold into slavery. Now, if we go on with his story, eventually, Joseph gets sold to a guy named Potiphar. And at this point, Joseph is a little wiser, a little more mature. And in fact, Joseph does such a good job working for Potiphar that, that Potiphar makes Joseph, the manager, over everything he owns. That's a promotion. Now, there was only one thing, though, that Joseph had no control over. It was Potiphar's wife. You are not under, she's not under your list of things to manage. And boy, is she a big problem. This woman is trouble. In fact, she's so much trouble that she starts flirting with Joseph. And eventually she tries to seduce him. But see, Joseph's learned something. He's, he's learned that 
I need to honor my master. And more importantly, I need to honor the Lord. Well, Potiphar's wife doesn't care much for his moral stance or his integrity. And so she's had enough. You're too dull. You don't get that I'm flirting with you. So she just makes a grab for him. But he does the right thing and he runs, leaving his shirt behind. You know, I imagine since she's not probably used to having her sexual advances rejected, that she decides to accuse Joseph trying to rape her. Well, Potiphar does what any good husband would. He has Joseph thrown into jail. Can someone say suffering? So when I look at that, and I want to apply that to my life. I think sometimes suffering comes when we do the right thing. Sometimes pressure comes to you because you did what God wanted you to do. You know, back this spring when we did Love and Logic, well, um, one of the funny remarks that, that the speakers um, kept making was that our children will never thank us for being really good at setting limits and creating consequences, you know. And, and it was funny because I think we as parents, we all kind of had in the back of our mind, you know, I'm going to start trying all these new techniques on my kids and they're just going to go bravo, Mom, Dad, you're brilliant. You got me. You caught me. I don't know how to fix this. I can't get out from underneath this. Bravo. But you know what? I think the same applies to us as Christians, you know, as, as followers of Christ. I think, I think we get this idea in our head that, that people and especially maybe close family and friends are always going to applaud our efforts as we try to live holy and set apart. But in, instead, what happens is many times they mock us. They question us. Why are you doing that? Sometimes they even do things on purpose to hurt us. They say things that they, they know they're contrary to our belief system. That, my friends, is pressure. And as a matter of fact, Jesus promised us that that would happen. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, he makes this really hard statement. He says, brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And all men, everybody say all men, all men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
Now, all men's a whole bunch of people, in case you didn't know. There's almost 10 billion of them. A lot of them follow the Lord. There's lots of people out there who don't, they don't like you. And it's because of righteousness. It's because you stand for truth. And pressure's here. And pressure's coming. And it's going to get worse for all of us. Now for those who compromise, life will be a lot easier for you. You won't have to stand up for the truth. If you're willing to waffle and vacillate on what God says about marriage, God says about sex before marriage, what God says about living holy and set apart, you probably won't have a lot of problems. But if you are going to follow Jesus, all men will hate you. And that's pressure. That's suffering. And just like Joseph, we will suffer for living our lives for Christ. In fact, there are people all over the world today who are suffering for Christ to the point of losing their life. We call them martyrs. One more person I want to look at concerning pressure and suffering. And it's the story of Job. This guy, he was just minding his own business. Loving and serving the Lord. When all of a sudden, the devil comes along and takes everything that Job loves in this world. He takes it all. Job loses all of his livestock, which is basically saying he got fired from his job. All of his children die in a tornado. And finally, to cap it all off, Joseph gets so sick that his entire body gets covered in pussy, disgusting boils. That's what I call a really bad hair day. So why did everything bad that could happen to a person, why did that happen to Job? I think we can't, we don't have to look any further than the source of his pain and suffering. It's the enemy. We have a real enemy. Call him whatever you want, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. If you listen to heavy metal, Natas, Satan backwards. 
We have a real enemy, and we live in a really broken and sinful world. And sometimes, sometimes pressure and suffering come in, into our lives because the world we live in is fallen. You know, loved ones get sick. Stuff breaks down. Unexpected problems uh, come up. Sometimes pressure and suffering come not because we've sinned, not because we've done something terribly wrong. Sometimes this stuff happens because we live in a system that's flawed. We live in a system where we have an adversary. We have a, a, a force in, in, in the name of Satan in, in the kingdom of hell who's fighting us, who's looking for cracks and crevices in your life so he can destroy us, kill us, kill us, destroy us, steal from us. And he's unrelentless. But I want you to know that even in those times when we are being attacked by hell or, or life has just suddenly got really complicated, I want you to know that God, he still wants to use those moments. He still wants to capitalize on that moment to show us what's in our hearts. God still wants to produce something in us, even when hell comes to steal it all. Romans 8.28 is a wonderful passage that many of us know. It says that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That is hope. And even when hell comes at us, he will use all things for our good. Now, sometimes I think we get a little squirrely on what the good is. Sometimes I think we go, oh, man, my car was, was in an accident, so all things are going to work out for my good, so God's going to bring me a Corvette. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what, you know. Oh, oh, you know, my TV broke, so now I'm going to get, instead of a 45-inch, I'm going to get a 60-inch TV from God. I mean, we think that all the, the good that God makes out of every bad situation is just an upgrade to whatever was lost. It's not. Sometimes the good is you developed patience. Sometimes the good he used is so you have now a heart of compassion for others. You also lost what you lost. Sometimes the good is, is that you realize that after you lost what you lost, you don't actually need it. That's good. That's God using some bad situation and teaching you something really good from it. So please, it's not always about an upgrade. My Mazda protege got wrecked, so now I'm getting a Toyota 4Runner. I don't know. Yeah. 
whatever your fancy is, we love to think that the good is always an upgrade. You know, this point of God taking even the negative and using it for good, it's, it even shows up at the end of Joseph's life. At the end of his story, we read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I love this. After he's gone through everything he went through, he was sold into slavery, got bought by a guy, ran the house wonderfully, and then got accused of trying to rape the guy's wife. He goes to jail. He runs the jail. Things go great. He, tells, he helps a couple of guys get out of jail. One dies, but it's irrelevant. The point is, another guy got out. But they still got out for the right, you know. But he gets forgot in jail. Then finally, God shows up and says, hey, guess what? It's time to get out of jail. And now he's running the entire nation of Egypt. And through a revelation God gave Joseph, Joseph was able to institute a policy that was going to save the whole world from famine. And his brothers and his mom and his dad, they all come to him. And guess what they did? They bowed down. And he finally reveals who he is because he doesn't look like the 17-year-old kid that they dropped off in a pit. He's a lot older guy now. And they realize this is our brother. And now they're full of remorse and they're suffering and they're, they're crying and they're, they're pleading, forgive us for the evil that we've done. And he makes this powerful statement. This is maturity right here. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What's it going to take to get to that place where we can see the suffering and pressure we're going through is possibly one day going to save someone's life? Now I want to quickly share just one last big idea, and then I'm going to wrap it up, I hope, quickly. If you need to go, feel free. If you remember nothing today, please, I just I want you to remember this. I've often wondered how great men and women of the faith become so great. And as I was studying for this message, I came across a secret that I had never, never crossed my mind. And it's really changing my thinking right now. But here it is. The heroes of our faith spent more energy avoiding sin than they did avoiding suffering. The heroes of our faith spent more energy avoiding sin in their lives than they did avoiding suffering. They, they spent their lives running from everything that looked like evil. 
instead of running from every difficult experience that came their way. Now, I want you to know that does not fit the American version of Christianity. You see, for most Christians, there's no place or purpose for suffering. In fact, we do everything we can to avoid it at all costs. And listen to me. Even if it means I have to sin to avoid it. There's a lot of different ways people deal with pressure and suffering. Some good, some bad. I'm convicted of the negative ways. You know, some of the sinful ways that we deal with pressure is things like overeating, overindulging in entertainment. You know, we love to self-medicate with TV and the internet, Facebook. Some people need to unwind from their chaotic life through a little alcohol at night. I mean, sure, you're not getting drunk, but has alcohol become a way that you deal with pressure and stress? What about smoking? I, I remember in high school, man, stressing out and dealing with depression, and I couldn't wait to get home and have a smoke. Maybe I'd get into an argument with my parents and the first thing I grabbed was my smokes. Gotta smoke, gotta smoke, gotta smoke. I need smoke. It'll help calm me down. What about now? As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, are we still killing our bodies, destroying the temple of the Lord just to deal with pressure in an unholy way. Sometimes people deal with stress and pressure in deeply harmful ways. Drugs, sex, pornography, eating disorders. You know, I'm I'm amazed and even hurt sometimes. When I hear about how it gets hard for some people and their language is the first thing to go. When pressure comes and suffering comes, so does the F-bomb. How do we justify setting our righteousness aside and curse as if we think heaven isn't listening? Maybe you deal with pressure just by quitting. You just drop the ball and you don't plan on picking it up. This is the last thing I'm going to have to say. Tina Lynn shared a word with Eric and I a few weeks ago. 
And I want to share it with us real quick. Basically, it says on May 14th and then again on May 25th, during worship, the Lord led me to Proverbs 14. Both times as I read the verses, I did not have the Lord's wisdom or understanding to what he was saying. Today, during my prayer time with the Lord, he said again to me, Proverbs 14, verse 1. And it says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And then in verse 12, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. It says, I, I felt the Lord say that there is a deception among my people. They receive wisdom, and then due to circumstances, they tear down their own house. So I want to ask you today, just close your eyes. Are you tearing down your own house when pressure comes? How do you handle life when pressure comes your way? Are you doing what the heroes of the faith do? Are you doing everything in your power to avoid sin while you go through your pressure and suffering? Or are you just trying to avoid the suffering altogether? Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts right now. Reveal to us how we handle pressure and stress and suffering. Is there any unholy way we deal with it, God? Reveal it to us. Be like the foolish woman who tears her own house down. Let the pressure form something inside of you. Let it burn something out of you. And if you're here today and you feel like you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit in this moment about some unholy ways in which you deal with pressure in your life. I just want to invite you to either if you can stay at your seat or if you want to make an act of faith and come kneel at the altar. 
Just come and ask for forgiveness. Repent. Because God is wanting to meet with you and reveal to you the gold that he's trying to show you, to mine out of you. So Father, I just uh, release these people back to you in this moment. Do with us as you will, Father. Convict. Bring light. Show truth. And heal us with love today, God. Lord, the season of pressure that we are, so many of us are going through, God, let it produce everything it should produce. Father, we thank you for grace and mercy that sustains us through the seasons when we feel like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But come and heal us, God. We don't want to be fools and tear our own houses down. We don't want to do what we think seems right. In the end, it leads to death. God, we want to do what you say is right. Keeping our hearts pure and set apart. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit here today, God. We ask you to stay with us. Stay with those who need to stay with you. Be with us, God. Walk with us. As we leave this place, God, let the weight of your presence be upon us. In Jesus' name. If you need to go, please quietly leave the room. If you're here and you need to still continue to do some business with the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to either come to the altar or stay in your seat. I want to bless you. In Jesus' name.